Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It's November 20th and I'm here with Garrett. What's up? Morning. Good morning. Thanksgiving week. It is Thanksgiving week. Did you have a good weekend? I always have good weekends, so that's uh, that's a yes. Yeah. Well, it's probably better than what's happening at OpenAI. Normally we wouldn't cover like AI sort of stuff, but this has just been honestly one of the most drama-filled weekends that I can remember when it comes to corporate governance, just the, the amount of flip-flopping and drama and, and just rapid news on, on Twitter has just been incredible. So let's run through what happened. Okay. Uh, on Friday noon last week, okay. OpenAI releases a blog post that really shocked everybody in essentially saying that Sam Altman was gone. The, Worldcoin founder was essentially kicked out by uh, a the nonprofit that owns OpenAI. And let me just stop here for a second. So OpenAI has, AI has this like really weird company structure. It's very strange. Uh, there is a for-profit company, but the for-profit's owned by a nonprofit, and uh, the nonprofit essentially controls everything that happens at the for-profit. Uh, Microsoft invested into the for-profit, but they're a minority shareholder. They own 49%, while the nonprofit owns 51%. So it, it, apparently they did this so that the, the nonprofit board members could essentially have full discretion on the creation of AGI, like artificial intelligence that was like, quote unquote, safe for all of humanity. And we can talk about like the whole like safety of safetyism versus like doomerism stuff later on. But uh, essentially they came around and they fired Sam from the company, right? So they put out this like really harshly word statement saying that like Sam has not been candid in his communications with the board and the board no longer has confidence in his ability to continue leading open AI. Uh, essentially saying that like Sam is a liar, right? At, at, in, in this initial statement. It was really harsh, pretty nasty. Um, in addition to that, they uh, removed they removed Greg Brockman from his position as chairman of the board. Uh, and then he also resigned as well, too. And then they announced that the CTO, Mir Marathi, would be the interim CEO. Uh, and it just people were in shock, honestly. Nobody really knew what was happening. Uh, I don't think that anybody was really prepared for this and not even uh open ai's investors were right we found out later that uh, microsoft learned one minute before the blog post went out that uh sam was being fired and also the other investors as well too really giving like no time to discuss or uh like talk with the board uh, we had a bunch of posts that came out on friday night Greg, Pro Greg Brockman posted something essentially saying like all lowercase as well too, uh, funny, funnily enough, saying, I'm super proud of what we all built here together since starting in my apartment eight years ago. Uh, we've been through tough times, great times together, but based on today's news, I quit genuinely wishing you all nothing but the best continue to believe in the mission of creating safe AI. So apparently what happened was that the night before on Thursday, uh, the three board members called Ilya uh, and essentially got him to flip uh, and wanted to kick Sam out, right? And so the, he contacted Mora, the CTO, and said that, hey, you're up. We're going to be firing Sam tomorrow. Uh, on the 
uh, okay. So all that goes down, right? Everybody gets fired. And it's essentially like a coup, right? Um, because the people that were firing Sam were these like safetyism people. They would think that the, the, the AI that they were developing was moving too fast. And so they wanted to get rid of Sam to move in a more like research, uh, like strategy focus rather than growing profits. Um, but we'll find more about this. I mean, there's a lot of this is just like shrouded, right? Like we're, we're finding more as, as time goes on. And I'm sure major publications are going to really be digging into this once this whole situation's figured out because it's not, <laughs> um, Right. So over the weekend, people are saying that like, oh, my God, Microsoft didn't even know about this. They're gonna, they were pissed and they are pissed still. Uh, and they wanted to bring Sam back because they had they had essentially like signed up for this like 90 billion dollar investment into OpenAI. Uh, and here they had just fired the face of the fastest growing company in the entire world that is essentially taking this company from zero to a 90 billion dollar valuation. Now he's gone with, without zero input from them as well, too. Uh, so like over the weekend, there was like discussions and people are optimistic that Sam's going to be back at OpenAI, right? Uh, the, there was like a initial deadline that was put out to the board saying that they needed to execute it by Sunday at 5 p.m. Or sorry, Saturday at 5 p.m., uh, which they passed. Nothing happens. Uh, like dozens and more like hundreds of OpenAI employees are publicly going on and and leaving hearts on Sam's tweet saying that he loves the OpenAI team so much, right? <laughs> and then on Sunday, Sam's back in the office. He, he posts a, a selfie of himself uh, with a guest pass saying that this is the first and last time that he's ever going to have a guest pass here. Uh, apparently, he's in discussions with the board. Microsoft is there as well, too. And uh, everybody's wondering if that's it, that Sam's going to come back now. Well, Sunday night, we find out that uh, Sam is not coming back. The board has now announced a new interim CEO of OpenAI. Uh, Microsoft brings Sam and Greg and his colleagues to join Microsoft in the new AI research team. And yeah, and then, you know, we're, we're just in this like floating state right now. This morning, we got a report that Ilya, who was one of the uh, board members who agreed to the coup uh, and one of the co-founders of OpenAI, had essentially like recanted his beliefs that, that Sam should be fired and essentially signed on to a letter with 500 other people from the OpenAI company, uh, essentially calling for the board to step down and that they had lost full confidence in the board. Um, it's kind of crazy. I mean, this, there's there's so much here to unpack and it's all being played out on crypto Twitter over the weekend. I'm just completely in shock at the, the level of drama that's happening here. And, you know, it's this is one of the largest companies in the entire world. And it's it's all being played out in public. Incredible. Yeah, it's definitely I'm not as uh, thoroughly researched as you because so many of the threads that I was reading on it were like speculation. And I realized this is not affecting Web3. So I should just like put it out of mind and see what happens. Um, I have to admit to a fair amount of relief when it happened, um, because like back during my Silicon Valley days, I had the chance to meet both the outgoing and incoming CEO of OpenAI. 
And my impression of Sam from like the few seconds I met him, uh, you know, this is just hearsay uh, or like, don't, don't put any stock in this. But my first thought was, this is like one of the most unctuous, disingenuous, slippery and untrustworthy human beings I've ever met. Um, he like kind of oozes that like startup, like um, entrepreneurship, like type of person that's just like willing to do, you know, lie, cheat and steal to get their startup across. Um, which is a good trait in an entrepreneur and probably will make them an effective like uh, CEO. But when it comes to like something as important as artificial intelligence, which could threaten the fate of humanity, the fact that he's nowhere near it makes me sleep a little bit better at night. Um, <laughs> well, well, I think, but, he, but I, I think, I think it's pretty harsh. I, I think that like, you know, there, there's more than just Sam there. There's a bunch of other researchers and like, which, like, which camp do you follow? Like, what's funny which, is like the more I read about it, the more I actually take his side. Um, yeah. Because where, where do you fall in the where do you fall in the AI camp? Like, are you accelerationist? Are you a decelerationist? Safetyism? Doomer? I haven't read up on all the uh, labels. I know that Eliezer Yudkowsky. I'm the opposite of whatever he is. He's a he's a doomer. Yeah, say. I'm the uh, complete opposite of that. I don't think I don't remotely see the uh, case for artificial intelligence um, dooming humanity. Yeah, so there. Let me see if I can go find this. I found a really nice. So the the new OpenAI CEO posted this political compass, uh, which yeah. is. I, mean, is very... I got to talk with Moore, and he um, mm -hmm. he heard me bad mouthing Y Combinator, so he took me out for tacos. And while I thought he <laughs> talked way too much, um, I thought he was pretty much. Yeah, free tacos. I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the here's the graph, right? And so you kind of everybody falls in one of these camps, right? Um, I, I'm I'm probably in the accelerationist camp, just because of that. You know, capitalism itself is a super intelligent being that is leading towards its own uh, creation of of AI, right? And and slowing it down or moving into these like doomer means means that like you as the individual somehow believe that that you can think better than the all-powerful market right okay. um, and i, yeah. I feel it's, it's like some sort of like weird gnosticism to to be in the doomer camp or in the, the safetyism camp because you think that you can outsmart whatever you're building right or like the you can you can outsmart the uh concurrent like research and development that's happening globally uh, by enacting regulations or some sort of laws that's going to slow down this technological development. Yeah. It's not going to work. Be on, I'd be definitely on the right side. The y-axis is kind of meaningless because it seems like a proper AI could itself um, accelerate the like power of the existing internet. So it seems like that kind of would render that scale a little strange. So I don't know exactly where to place it on the vertical axis it has these like recursive properties that make it impossible. But yeah, I'm not, um, I, I don't, I don't fall in line with the safetyist biased. Um, and it seems to me from reading, you could probably speak to this more that like, that was the reason that Sam was ousted, right? That he was like trying to push things too fast and like profit too much off of it. And they mm -hmm. wanted it to be like much more secure. Well, let's talk about the board, right? Because uh, this is something that a lot of people have been talking about. Uh, the board is made up of four people here. Uh, we have Ilya, uh, who is in this bottom left-hand corner, uh, who is one of the co-founders of OpenAI and a uh, very intelligent and smart guy. I mean, I listened to a bunch of his stuff over the weekend and you know, he 
he's he's very he's, he's very well thought out in in why he believes about his safetyism. Um, the other people here are uh, this is the CEO of Quora. Uh, oh yeah, Quora is useless. Well, Quora actually Quora actually provided a lot of the um, what's it called the initial data for OpenAI to use. Uh, that explains so, a lot. <laughs> yeah, so the, his name is Adam D'Angelo, and so Quora had a, a big part in helping out OpenAI in the beginning. Uh, I have a horrible person, opinion of Quora, so uh, I'll leave that for a different day. Yeah. So this is this is Tasha McCauley. She is the co-founder of Fellow Robotics and adjunct management scientist at Rand Corporation. Um, notably, she is the wife of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, and the last person is Helen Toner, recently graduated from university, two years out from university graduation, and Director of Strategy and Foundational Research Grants at Georgetown University Center for Security and Emerging Technology. So this is a really young board, like very, very young board and very inexperienced. Um, you know, most of these people are in their 20s, uh, early 30s, and they probably were not in the best people to to, to, to run this nonprofit. And that's part of the issue as well, too, is that because OpenAI is a nonprofit, it's very much like a DAO in, in a sense where uh, you could have these, we have a lot of DAOs where the DAO doesn't actually control anything, right? It's, it's given over to a foundation, it's given to a uh, like offshore entity, which uh, like, you raise $30 million, right? And that gets sent off to a, a Swiss foundation, which then has its own board of directors and people who are controlling it, right? Um, and, you know, that that's very close to what we're seeing here, right? Where there, there's significant differences in how people see OpenAI move forward. Uh, but you have a, a, a nonprofit board who is not beholden to any shareholders and not beholden to, uh, like, grow or... Uh, make a profit, making significant decisions about the uh, companies that it owns, specifically the for-profit company, which Sam was the CEO of. Yeah, well, I mean, I can somewhat see the need to like treat it carefully and go slowly and like keep it like as an open AI, like nonprofit, because it's the sort of thing that capitalism could you know, capitalism is great for a lot of things, um, but there are some things that do benefit somewhat from being more of a public good. Um, so I could see the argument, um, but that being said, like from the, the from the back and forths I saw uh, between these um, the board and Sam, like for me to side with Sam, uh, considering like my personal like um, like <laughs> gut feeling I got from meeting him, like I I uh, I'm pretty uh, like it's pretty remarkable I'm siding with Sam. Yeah, and most people are as well too. We have a story outside of out of Wired today that uh, 500 employees of OpenAI have signed a letter. So 500 out of the 700 employees at OpenAI have signed a letter saying they may quit and join Sam at Microsoft unless the startups board resigns and reappoints the CEO. <laughs> they should. That would that's pretty cleaning a house. I mean, that's pretty well. There's there's a bunch of issues here, right? Is that like that they're asking the nonprofit board to resign, not the not the for-profit company. If this was a for-profit company, this wouldn't be an issue, right? Because uh, the 
there would be clear goals on on profitability and growth and everything else. And the the, the nonprofit board is not looking at the OpenAI charter like that. They're more focused on on safetyism and the, the deployment of a AI that's in their minds not going to kill everybody. Um, and so yeah, it's it's totally different because if if this was like a, a C corp or an LLC or something uh, or C corp really then they would just fire the board, right? Fire board, fire shareholders come in and essentially wage a coup and that's it. Things are over, but uh, because of their, you know, like, okay. So the, 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 the company said it that they have is a product of their history. So the company itself was set up as a nonprofit way back in the day when it was very small uh, so that it could research AI. And uh, during this time period, it was, it, you know, we're talking back in like 2015, 16. Um, and it was just a research company, right? There was a lot of experimentation. Uh, There's a lot of research that was going on. And they started to train models out of it. It was very, all really small, right? Uh, and then in 2018, they released a paper called Improving Language understanding by generative pre-training, which introduced the foundational architecture for the uh, GPT or generative pre-trained transformer model that we use today. And that kind of created the product that we use now with ChatGPT. So from here, they they transitioned from a nonprofit into a cap profit model. Uh, they wanted to increase the ability to raise capital, which they needed to, to run all the servers and uh, also have a way to like grow in the sense of being able to create products and sell them to people. Uh, so this, this structure was pretty novel. And so it allowed the nonprofit to control the direction of the for-profit uh, while providing investors a capped upside of 100X. Uh, and this culminated in a billion dollar investment from Microsoft and started that relationship, which we see today. And so I have a picture of the structure here. Uh, which I'm going to bring up and just shows that how everything is controlled. So let me pull this up. Okay. So here we have the board of directors, which I just was talking about those three, four people. Um, they controlled the open AI public charity, open AI nonprofit, um, which is kind of at the heart of where all this uh, is like drama is taking place. Uh, so they actually own the holding company that owns the for-profit. And then the nonprofit also wholly owns and controls OpenAI GP LLC, which controls the uh, the for-profit as well too. And then Microsoft is a minority owner in OpenAI uh, Global LLC. Um, so like all of the drama that we're talking about right now is happening in this nonprofit. It's not actually happening in the, the for-profit. And the decisions that they're making in the nonprofit can actually go around Microsoft because Microsoft only owns a 49% uh, control, like minority stake in the business. Uh, they have full rights to all the technology, but they have no way to change any of the um, like structure or uh, like reverse these decisions that have been in, coming out of the board. Right. So I, this is going to keep on unfolding. I think we'll probably learn a lot about 
like governance from this about how we should set things up. Maybe there's some things that we can take away from uh, for DAOs as we move forward, uh, where people actually need to have skin in the game to uh, <laughs> like as they go forward. Like one of the there's this great clip of Sam uh, talking about how he has no like no equity, uh, no anything uh, in front of Congress. Let me see if I can find this clip. Um, Slimy, untrustworthy. Got a Sam in front of Congress. I know. I know. Here, I've got the clip. Uh, it's just a little strange. Like, uh, I I get, I get it. Like, if, if you come from this like position of, oh hey, AI is gonna destroy us all. I, I should just do this for the greater good of society. Um, but it I is a little weird. Your, I go back to your point about like if this was a if this was being run as a for profit company, like it eliminates the debate, right? It's like a simple metric: are we making money? Are we not? When you try to optimize for something nebulous like safety, that means a million different things to a million different people. Like yes, to yes. me, I consider it massively unsafe that ChatGPT censors results to try yeah. and like fit some sort of like safety standard. Um, I consider that massively unsafe. Other people consider it unsafe if it's actually not censoring. So it's like, it's weird. Also, yeah. how, it's not really measurable because, uh, you know, if it's uh, like a financial incentive, you can measure it. Okay, are you successful? Are you not? Uh, exactly. If it's for safety, like how can you ever uh, tell and it just goes uh, around in uh, circles? And by the way, guys, uh, from what you guys uh, just uh, said here, isn't it, uh, doesn't it seem to you in a way an attempt uh, by Microsoft to actually take control of no uh, OpenAI? No, 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 I completely agreed with DeFi Advisor. Like at the end of the day, like Microsoft and so Google that own the compute power for it, um, like it doesn't matter what like front end you, uh, shell you put in front of it. Like it's a debate of computing power at the end of the day, which Microsoft yeah. and Azure have a ton of. Exactly. What's your point, Sam? Well, I look. I don't think Microsoft wasn't on board with the firing, and they were furious. Yeah, they say so, but who who knows what they actually mean? You know, it it, who cares it really, what they actually say? no, but it, it really matters, right? Because here is a company that was able to attract the the literally the smartest and brightest minds in the entire AI research space into this one company, and they had they had struck gold with the product, and and Microsoft. I, I could test the smartest minds, but keep going. Well, some of the smartest minds, right? Like these, these people that are working there are incredible. They've developed. No, no. Some... If you've been to any Silicon Valley company, you know that the pedigreed people are terrible. Anyway, okay. keep going. Well, look, they, they've they've They're struggled. Pedigreed. They're pedigreed. Okay. okay. I, I don't want to get into uh, this, this this talk. I don't, I don't think it's like the, the, looking at the products that they've put out, they've struggled. Uh, they've really developed something completely revolutionary. And uh, Microsoft had made an investment into it. And now, if 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 everyone walks from that company, you know those those people are not all going to stay or go, just going to swap into Microsoft overnight. Yeah, gonna be cool. let's hope they do. Cool. Let's hope they do. That would be the best thing that could happen. No, yeah. but like those people are going to be distributed across you know hundred different AI companies that are all like salivating to to hire them now, and so there's going to be massive brain drain out of OpenAI. Their their valuations. Right. Do you remember which, what happened to Twitter when there was massive brain drain? Like all the useless yeah. people left, you found it's out you could run also, the company with like fifty yeah, percent of the people. I I think mm -hmm. you're I, I think you're being too nihilistic about this whole thing. Like these these people that are working at OpenAI were about to uh, essentially get a a ninety billion dollar round 
where they're going to be able to cash out significant amounts of capital as employees that have been working there for, you know, since 2015. So almost close to a decade for some people. And now that that value destruction has essentially probably, you know, caused them to, to lose massive amounts of, of, uh, of value in their employee shares. So but I think supposed, it's... But that supports the case that uh, Microsoft wants to this company... No, uh, Microsoft, Microsoft didn't know. And Microsoft, like, probably... Microsoft I, ended... Like, whether, whether or not they triggered it, they, Microsoft did benefit the most from this, right? Would you agree with that? I don't hmm. think they triggered it, mind you. I think that they benefit strongly from it, though. Sure, they can aqua hire. They can aqua hire like a ton of people, bring them into Microsoft for a while, and then have first rights to invest into whatever sort of startup Sam wants to go start once he leaves in a year or mm -hmm. two, right? Like, but again, like it's it's not just him, right? There are there are seven hundred people that work at this company that have employee benefits that that have been working there for years, and then you know you put all this time and effort into a, a product a company, and then poof, it's you know, the value destruction is overnight is incredible and there's just massive losses. I, You're I think just it's talking about equity value destruction, right? Not actual like any tangible uh, value destruction within the company, right? Yeah, but as an employee, like when you've been working somewhere for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, and then, you know, overnight your, your, uh, your exit is essentially destroyed. I, I think it's really unfortunate for a lot of people. And that's what happened to everyone in DeFi too. I and mean, we're still here. Uh, no. It, it, yeah. We all lost 95% of our value from two years ago to now. I, I, so we lost even, more money on the table than them. I, I think you, I think you're just being nihilistic today. I think that, <clears throat> that OpenAI was a shining example of American dynamism. And uh, it's, it's, it's not, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be that's cheering a little for much. it. It's an artificial disclaimer machine. I like it. I use it every day. Um, but I think that there's some massive issues at the company, and I think this is only a good thing for it. I think you're being a little bit too nihilistic and maybe didn't have your coffee today. Uh, <laughs> I don't and... agree. I don't agree with Sam at all here. What's nihilistic well, about uh, Garrett's perspective? Why is it uh, nihilism? Well, he's essentially cheering on for the destruction, this like value destruction of the company. Like I don't, I don't think it's. I, well, I, don't I, think... I think he's. I think he's cheering on uh, a more uh, like competitive market. Actually. Yeah, like a more of a course correction for the company, let's say. I think it's a useful thing. 500 people lose, like set, losing 60% of your 60 to 70% of your staff in one weekend. No, but what do you mean losing? They said they want to quit if Sam is uh, moving. And that's why I tell you that it's uh, probably, uh, in my opinion at least, Microsoft pulling strings uh, from uh, behind the curtains because I can see the clear, like Garrett says, uh, Microsoft is gaining something here and they're actually uh, expecting most of that value both uh, human capital and uh, resources with money will flow to them in my opinion at least i should issue a disclaimer i own some microsoft stock in an ira somewhere uh, from a long time back well so in theory i'm motivated by microsoft doing well here i think it's just unfortunate and you know the the short-sightedness of the board to to do this uh, is is going to be a like a case for business schools uh, for the next centuries, right? Of like how not to run a company or a nonprofit or to engage in corporate governance. 
Uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be big. But you know, with the with the pace that things ha- things are happening, who knows uh, if we live? Uh, who knows what's gonna happen, and whether or not we'll remember it uh, that clearly in a year or two. I think we will. I, I think this is this is one of those events that, if we look at the similarities uh, to like Steve Jobs leaving, being kicked out of Apple for like a decade. I mean, this is the TikTok version of that, right? Is what I saw on Twitter. Is that uh, this is the TikTok version of of Steve Steve Jobs being kicked out of his own company and then being brought back a decade later to yeah. I mean, re- but re- reemerge I'm and become. Fairly, I'm fairly consistent here because I never saw the appeal of Steve Jobs either. I mean, Apple, I like, I, like, okay, again, this is more nihilism. Apple's the number one. Apple, he took, he took Apple to be the largest equity by market cap in the entire world. Um, I understand and, as a like, like, a, accomplishments in running the company. I just, I never bought into the hero worship of him, and I think it's a little strange and off-putting. Uh, no, I think that's a little strange. Like hero worship is not, you know, uh, something to do. But you know, looking at the growth of the company and how they've been able to develop the the products that they have, uh, really is a attestation of his leadership and what they were able to build. But we're getting off we're getting off topic, right? I think the mo- I think most important thing to take away is that uh, you know this will be a lesson for co- corporate governance uh, at at pretty much every MBA going forward of just like what not to do. And it's great for Microsoft. Sure, they get to acquire all these people for zero dollars, and they get to keep all the IP from uh, from OpenAI. But uh, you know, I, I wish it could have worked out better. I do want to talk about a a speech that I watched over the weekend, which I re- really liked. Right, and I would recommend that everybody go watch it. Uh, it was Catherine Boyle, who is a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, gave a speech at um, a defense contractor and uh, essentially talking about the um, like this this word that I use called American dynamism. And she essentially came out and was talking about how, you know, if you're going to like destroy America, what would that what would you do, right? You would flood it with drugs. You would let the infrastructure collapse. You would let the uh, like ruling powers essentially get older. Everything gets older, and then in, in, insert this like um, like narcissism and nihilism into it that uh, would would essentially uh, bring everybody's morale down and take away the ideas of, of patriotism and and what we're building in the American project. Um, it's like, it's, sounds like you're describing the U.S. at the moment. Uh, yeah, of course. I, I think I think it's it's it takes away. We forget about the um, you know we forget about like what built America in the first place, which was a profound sense of exactly. of just the ability to to drag oneself up uh, from yeah. utter utter you know. Be, being poor and and having nothing to uh, being able to go bankrupt, lose everything, and then and then uh, figure it all out again, right? And it's really only in America that we have that that ability to do so. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't think it's only in America, but I do think that it's definitely like uh, been uh, what's kept America at the top, uh, like at least uh, culturally. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's even more basic than that. I think that uh, like it was much clearer that people, uh, especially in the West, knew the difference between uh, good and evil and right and wrong. Like, I don't know, a few decades ago, at least on the the way it felt. I think things are much more uh, like uh, unclear these days for so many people that they can't even uh, tell the difference between uh, like simple things who are pretty obvious to even uh, you know to even even for children. Yeah. So, so if, if mm-hmm. we were just saying that it was very difficult for OpenAI to optimize towards a squishy term like safety. Um, what would be the objective metrics you'd look at uh, to classify America's like decline or lack of decline that would be like neutral and like uncontrovertible? Well, let me talk about some of the things that she says here, because I think it was really like this article that she wrote and put out, um, you know, she talks about how you want a war against America. And she says, you want a war against America when we stop innovating. When we become scared of technology and the drive that resides deep in our bones, when we cease to be the world's exporter of innovation and cede that role to China or to a global consortium of dunces. Uh, You win a war against America when you greet builders with suspicion, when your instinct is to destroy the weirdos doing new things on the frontier. You win a war against America when old companies become too big to fail and ensure that little ones around them are squashed instead. When we trust age more than we trust vitality, when everything is old from our infrastructure to our industrial base to our political leaders because we've conquered and discouraged the new uh, you win a war against america when our identities become more important than our duties to each other when we turn inward and focus on our neuroses rather than the needs of our families and our communities around 50 years ago sociologist philip reef called modern man uh, the psychological man in the triumph of the therapeutic noting that the psychological man is literally going nowhere but aims to achieve a certain speed and certainty in his going. And in 50 years, our new neuroticism is now a meme that mocks men that mocks men who would rather build things and do things rather than go to therapy, an ethos we used to celebrate in this country. And so it, it, she keeps on going and going, talking about like all the things that we, like the, the fentanyl crisis and you know how like TikTok is essentially uh, giving direct access to China uh, to the the, uh, the minds of of young teenagers, how we're like both sides in terrorism now. You know, like I don't know if you guys saw the Bin Laden stuff that came out a couple of days ago. Did you see that? That was like sick, really. Yeah, yeah, I saw some stuff because it uh, also, you know, I'm pretty like interested in all that kind of stuff recently, even more than uh, before because of the situation here as well. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it it goes to my point before. When you started uh, talking about her letter, man, wasn't right or wrong uh, clearer uh, a, a while back? Not that long ago, even. Yeah, you know, I'm not that old. I'm a boomer, but not that that boom. So, would, would I? Would I, I you yeah, go ahead, Garrett. It's nice rhetoric, um, but I I'm, what I didn't hear from any of it was sort of objective like metrics that one would use to track these things. Well, look, let me just easy let me, to cherry pick two points in time and say this is different from that. Therefore, things are bad. Uh, I think there's a I think there's a general infusion of nihilism and uh, lack of of 
patriotism and and love for the United States that we had 20 years ago. Um, if you look at at the kind of beliefs around yeah. the, the there'll be a starting point. You could say what percentage of people nowadays versus like some time back like uh, agreed that patriot like expressed to some degree of patriotism. There's probably polling there, um, but yeah. I'm not sure that that's like necessarily the most. Uh, no, I mean it's. Metric. I think something I, like personal yeah, but it, but it's some, like, no, but no, 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 but it's important, right? Because like it, there's a um, let me let me just continue, right? So, so uh, she continues saying like some have been critical that we name this movement American Dynamism, but I'll tell you, never have two words in the investing community meant so much and stood for real civilizational truth. We often focus on America, the obvious beneficiary of our building American was meant not only as a symbol of what we build for the unseriousness we reject, um, talking about like letting Iran chair the human UN Human Rights Forum, uh, but she goes on to say, but even more important than her choosing the word America is the word dynamism, the teleological end of technological supremacy. We are an American defense or defense tech or hard tech or deep tech or military tech. Uh, those are means to the end we aspire, but what is that end? Dynamism is growth, movement, momentum, and opportunity. In his techno-optimist manifesto, Mark Andreessen wrote, we believe everything good is downstream of growth. We believe not growing is stagnation, which leads to zero-sum thinking, internal fighting, degradation, collapse, and ultimately death. Dynamism, dynamism is life. And we embrace dynamism and the values upon which the country was founded because they are true and worth defending. Dynamism makes America the country people want to be from, to immigrate to, and to build a life, a career, or company in. Alex de Tocqueville described America as many things, but he was struck by the insatiability or by the insatiable spirit of American dynamism and opportunity. The American lauds as noble and praiseworthy ambition what our forefathers stigmatized as servile cupidity. In America, fortunes are lost and regained without difficulty. The country is boundless and its resources inexhaustible. Boldness of enterprise is the foremost cause of its rapid progress, its strength, and its greatness. Commercial business is there like a vast lottery by which a small number of men will continually lose, but the state is always a gainer. The state is always a gainer. America always wins. And then, um, you know, she she ends by saying, like, we, we need courage. We have to have uh, a, a patriotic and, uh, like, core base of Americans who believe in the idea of America and will continue to be uh, dynamic as we face this silent war. Really incredible stuff. I would watch, I would watch this whole speech. Uh, we'll have a link in the comments. Um, I watched it twice yesterday and I thought it was really great. I confess I'm a little underwhelmed, but I think it's because I consider myself more a citizen of Ethereum than I do of any country. Mm. Like maybe it's just like I identify uh, as a boomer, as a zoomer and not a boomer. So like, yeah. I think a lot of younger people like just like think outside this kind of concept of patriotism a bit, right? It's like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of yeah. people are more loyal to their discord communities uh, than they are to their country nowadays. I understand you, uh, Garrett. And I think that now I also understand what Sam was referring to, or at least the vibe that he was referring to when he said uh, nihilistic, because on that one, I'm definitely uh, uh, seeing stuff like Sam, actually. Because, you know, all these stuff, they're true up to a certain point. Because you can be there in America and be unpatriotic and, uh, like, uh, do all these things. 
just for as long as America is still a functioning society. But uh, if, God forbid, it stops being a functioning society, then all of a sudden these people won't see, like they will see the consequences of what they've actually been uh, promoting. Because, and actually I, I like your vision about the fact that you see yourself as a, as a citizen of Ethereum, for example. Like it's visionary and I get that and it's something very like even uh, romantic about it. But you know, you don't get your groceries on Ethereum. And I'm not, I'm not talking yeah. like with pain for him. Like, like you, you need real life to actually like have a place to live and eat and be uh, protected and stuff like that. And without, uh, we, like uh, in our imaginations, yeah, it will be great if we didn't need any societies and countries and we'd all love each other and sing Kumbaya and uh, like, uh, like do barbecues. But in real life, there are people that want other stuff. Like there are people. It's all true for us who want to play fair games. There is there are there are evil. I think that what you're trying to say is that like there are evil people out there who would exploit our weakness yeah. to literally exactly. kill children in their in their cribs, um, exactly. as we as we saw recently with uh, what happened in Israel. And you know, uh, one these, example, yeah. And, and and it's it's this like clouding of what is good and evil, uh, which which people have exploited over the last two decades to essentially say that you know you don't really know what's right or wrong. Everybody has their own like truth inside these these countries or peoples or societies or whatever. And that you know uh, like just because you believe something is good doesn't make it good somewhere else. And I think that sort of postmodernistic nihilism has really destroyed a lot of the ideas of, of what it means to be you know, like um, like America as a an entity for good, and so like I I personally am drawn to crypto because I think that there's been a lot of mistakes and overreach in 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 how the United States has conducted itself over the last twenty years, and that the systems that we're building here are a a, a check on that's that power that has that has essentially led to repression uh, on a global scale both domestically and internationally and it's necessary uh, for the long-term health of our functioning society to build these systems uh, that essentially can provide an outlet or an ejection seat or whatever you want to call it a a, a secondary financial system uh, to help alleviate some of the pressures of the this repression um, and like, I don't think it's, I, I think it's, I think it's patriotic in that sense. And I think that the, um, you know, when you, when you have a government that engages in domestic surveillance when you have a government that is essentially, uh, you know, looking inwards rather than outwards for threats, that's, that's when it, it becomes worrisome. Right. And I think that the, you know, when we when we talk about the, the American ideal, it's not about like looking towards internal threats or engaging in this mass surveillance uh, out of fear of anxiety and terrorism or whatever. Uh, it's the ability for people to come to this country and no matter who they are, or where they're from, to be able to you know, lift themselves up by their bootstraps and build something better. And, you know, she says it in in her speech that like all these new things that we've built you know, crypto especially, uh, we shouldn't just try to e extinguish it. It, it, it. We're we're building a lot of new and novel ideas here, 
some are good, some are bad, but the market will figure out at the end of the day and we'll have a, a better functioning society and economy and uh, all things because of it. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, some, st by the way, did you guys see that, uh, the election in, uh, Argentina? We, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually, I think, uh, it's very connected to what you're uh, saying, because I think that after a while of that kind of stuff, the people themselves, they want to reclaim what's theirs, you know, and they don't really like the fact that uh, all of a sudden what they've taught were taught all their lives that was true all of a sudden is being presented as untrue. Now, of course, these stuff are complex and uh, like uh, there's a free market of ideas and uh, the, this free market should win. But a society that uh, allows itself to be ruined by uh, external uh, forces, whether who are uh, like uh, doing it from the outside or doing it slowly from within, is actually a society that will, at some point, in, in my opinion, it will reach like a, a threshold I'm not sure how to say that word. I'm sorry. That uh, it's just going to be too much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know how to express it. I mean, that at some point it's just too much. You know, at just po at some point you can't be politically correct and accept stuff anymore because you're realizing that just like Sam said earlier, like uh, they're pushing you and pushing you and pushing you to the fact that okay, wait a minute, where where, where is where is myself in all this uh, situation? And I actually am very happy about what's going on, at least from what it, I feel about it from the outside, uh, from what I've been uh, listening to Millet and stuff like that. Honestly, I, I'm hoping Argentina is uh, going on a very new uh, way and I hope it's going to actually change a lot of South America as well and uh, rooting uh, for them, for sure. So, I mean, I've followed the Argentina stuff very closely. Is it going to become the second nation to accept Bitcoin as an official currency after El Salvador? Probably you think? I, no. no, I think he's actually a big supporter of uh, crypto as well. This guy. Sure, sure, but I, I think it's in a different way. I mean, I, I yeah. think that he essentially wants to dollarize the country. You know, with 150 percent inflation, it is incredibly hard for them to uh, like manage their economy at the moment. Yeah, they are corrupt and, to the bone, man. Of course, they are corrupt and, to the bone, though. And and so switching to a fully dollarized economy will put hard limits that will prevent any sort of like waste or excess because you just won't be able to borrow. Like it, it, it will be impossible to print more money uh, and they just won't be able to borrow to fund programs or sort of debt interest or I, I, don't, I don't particularly understand the, the inner workings of the Argentinian economy, but they already have a, a, a black market dollar economy there. They're the largest users of, of cash, US dollar cash outside the United States. Um, and you know the crypto markets have just enabled that to a further extent uh, by allowing dollars to flow seamlessly from in and out of the country. And you know if you go to Argentina, they have these little like cuevas everywhere where you can walk into any shop and pay with Bitcoin or Tether on Tron or God knows what uh, in these little exchange shops and get money out of it. And you know the the economy needs to be fixed probably through dollarization. This is what uh, El Salvador had to do as well too, uh, switching to a dollar economy, and it takes a lot of it takes a, an extreme amount of power away from the country itself to manage its own finances. But in this case, they 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 have to beat inflation somehow, and that probably is only done through pairing everything to to dollar prices and suffering for I don't know five ten years because um, it's going to be hard, really hard. 
I know that uh, at Javier Milad, who was elected uh, in uh, Argentina, is mostly about, uh, from what I saw at least, uh, like minimizing government. He says that, uh, like, you know, everything is so corrupt there, especially because it can be through the government, because they control these offices, these unnecessary offices. And, uh, you know, they just, uh, like, decide all kind of stuff instead of letting the free market uh, decide it. So I think this video that I've just shared with you guys uh, in the private chat, it's really a good like uh, example of uh, his agenda. As he's uh, there, just uh, you can see him just uh, ripping off names of all kinds of uh, like uh, different uh, government entities and say "afuera, afuera," like out, out, go ahead. Like, and uh, I think it says a lot about how much he wants to like uh, how much he feels over regulation and not the other way around, actually. Well, he's a he's an ANCAP libertarian, so we'll see uh, we'll see what happens over the next few months. Um, the price of Bitcoin did react positively to that; it went up a thousand dollars after the announcement was made. Uh, the announcement was actually made figured out on prediction markets first, uh, rather than the news, where uh, I saw some charts showing that uh, they sniffed it out first that he was going to win. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, okay, let's talk about some crypto stuff because we had a bunch of fun things happen over the weekend. Uh, DYDX had some crazy, crazy, highly profitable trading strategies <laughs> taken against it. So if you haven't been paying attention, Wi-Fi, the token for urine finance, had a little run up over the past 10 days, going from 6,000 to 16,000, and then essentially being crushed back down to 9,000 or 8,000. Uh, I within, didn't know the second part. <laughs> yeah, within a, couple, within a couple of hours, right? And what had happened was that someone had figured out that they could take large amounts of open interest uh, to essentially go long Wi-Fi and then essentially short it at the top uh, to flip that trade. And because it's such a small token and the market cap is so small and uh, the float is is really small, they can push the price around really easily. So someone came and on November 14th and 15th, deposited a huge amount of USDC into DYDX to go long Wi-Fi. Uh, when the price rose to its peak of 16,000 on November 17th, uh, this wallet withdrew USDC from DYX via multiple wallets and then redeposited via other wallets into USDC, or sorry, in, back into DYDX to short. Uh, this allowed them to get around the single uh, wallet limits for uh, open interest for Wi-Fi and build up huge longs and then huge shorts. Uh, they came in, they dumped a huge portion of Wi-Fi after that on the spot market, uh, taking the price and plummeting it. And then they withdrew while in profit and uh, were able to use this highly illiquid market with a low float to drain $9 million from DYDX's insurance fund. So open interest on Wi-Fi at DYDX spiked from $800,000 to $67 million in less than a week, wow. driven by one actor. Wow. Yeah. 
uh, Antonio. Yeah. So Antonio from DYDX claims that this actor also tried to uh, do the same with Sushi the other day and was unsuccessful about that. So the Wi-Fi open interest was higher on DYDX than any other perp venue. And they did try to increase initial margin, initial margin ratios for Wi-Fi prior to the price crash, uh, but this was not sufficient. So uh, the uh, they took a bunch of USDC out. Price the price crashed on the spot market, probably by the same actor. And so now uh, they suffered uh, a nine million dollar loss to their insurance fund, which essentially like covers any sort of holes that uh, you would have from uh, trading here. N now the DYDX people are pissed as such. They're working with Genalysis and other uh, companies to track these wallets, figure out who these parties are and report them to the feds. Aren't they also banning uh, overly profitable trades or something after this? Or was that banned in effect beforehand? Uh, I, I, it's, it's kind of their fault, right? Because they allowed this amount of vote, like with these smaller altcoins, if you allow for huge open interest to be built up um, and essentially be taken, I mean, you're going to get screwed at some point just because everybody's going to get liquidated. Nobody's going to be able to fill the markets and then they go after the insurance fund, unfortunately. Um, they probably shouldn't even like list these uh, tokens in the first place. And that's what we saw like, pretty much immediately after, right? Uh, once the uh, DYDX news came out, they raised initial margin requirements on a ton of pairs. Uh, and they said, sorry, highly profitable trading strategies have now been banned on DYDX. Yeah. Uh, highly profitable trading strategies remind me only of one person yeah. when I hear this uh, term. And so from what you're exp explaining here, uh, Sam, it's basically uh, because of the way stuff is designed uh, on DYDX and uh, the specific design of uh, like uh, the Wi-Fi tokenomics that actually allowed uh, this to happen. Well, let's look at, at Yearn, right? So uh, Yearn has a market cap right now, fully diluted market cap of $327 million. And that's at $9,000. Uh, that would have been a bit higher at, uh, let's just say it would be a half billion dollars, uh, up at about $15,000. And the person who was running this trade strategy was essentially able to open a $50 million short on a uh, half billion dollar uh, token, right? So they, they, they were able to get essentially like 10% of open interest versus the float, which is incredible. It's so it's, it's a huge amount, uh, that you would never be able to get versus like ETH or BTC just because of the size. But because of these, these smaller tokens with a bunch more listed here, like EOS, Aave, Algo, I mean, these are small. I mean, some of these have market caps in the hundreds of millions, uh, maybe, you know, low hundred million. They're really easy to buy on the spot market and move the price a ton. And, uh, so it, it, people figured out, someone figured out that you could do this on DYDX and they took advantage of that. I mean, isn't this always going to be a problem with, uh, whenever you're dealing with low liquidity, like tokens? Yeah. 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 You should just not, they, they shouldn't list them in the first place or the, the margin requirements have to be very high. And the, the amount of leverage that you provide has to be like, you know, two, three X max. 
it's 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 very tough to provide yeah but they want to but they want to attract more people who want to trade so they're trying to list uh, tokens even if uh, it's not uh, 100% uh, bulletproof right sure but in this case it's like a systemic risk to the exchange by allowing these pairs to trade just because of the low float size and the size of their market Sorry. caps so basically you guys think that uh, it's like uh... DYDX should just have been uh, like uh, prepared for it in a different way, and they are actually to uh, like they brought them upon they brought it upon themselves in a way. Yeah, the parameters for trading were just too not conservative enough. They allowed for too much too much leverage to be taken, too much open interest relative to the total market cap, and uh, you know now they're having to work with with putting out bounties to try to figure out who the attacker was and then pass that information back on to the FBI. Yeah, definitely uh, a very important thing to consider because uh, in the long run, this creates more damage to them than, uh, mm -hmm. than the, the previous uh, intent of allowing uh, the Wi-Fi trading uh, with the parameters that they've decided. Uh, actually, but, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, let's go on to another story. We have uh, Wu and Kronos. So Kronos Research is a pretty well-known market maker who supplies something to the effect of 40% of all liquidity to Wu. And on the weekend, uh, they suffered a breach of their API keys and lost what looks to be about $20 million, according to Zach XPT. Oh, sorry, uh, $26 million. Initially, it was reported as $20 million, but it was raised to $26 million later on. Uh, afterwards, Cronus Research told stakeholders and people that were using Woo that their financial health remains robust and that they said, quote, despite it being a sizable amount, Kronos remains in good standing. All losses will be covered internally. No partners will be affected. And they said that, uh, you know, they're prioritizing, prioritizing security and safety and liquidity and everything's going to be back on track. Um, so this is the first time since 2018 that Kronos has had to pause trading at, uh, due to a security breach. And they said they are working to uh, do a postmortem to figure out what the problem was. Um, this came as kind of a shock to a lot of people who were using Woo um, because they didn't know that Kronos was 40% of the perpetual market. <laughs> uh, and so a lot of people were just, just confused and shocked about this. But that's how it happens with these market makers. They're a huge part of these ecosystems and provide a ton of open interest and liquidity. Right. Okay. More they jail. Call all, they call all the shots, no? Yeah, exactly. I, and there's like dubious things about how they're intertwined, right? Um, For sure, man. Uh, especially when the market is uh, still relatively small, uh, you know, they, they, it's it's their playground. Like uh, whenever I'm uh, like, I, I don't do that often, but whenever I talk to like uh, actors who are really like 
playing with uh, like significant uh, fans and are aware of like uh, the level of games being played uh, on these levels uh, yeah man. like the market is still so so uh, relatively small that they can pretty much do whatever they want with it if you if they really know what they're playing okay so let's talk about Lawrence Lawrence is uh uh worked at euler also index finance as well too he put out a tweet yesterday saying hey everybody there's currently an ongoing hostile governance attack taking place against the remnants of the index finance treasury do you remember indexed well uh, vaguely i, I, I can't vaguely. remember vaguely yeah so somebody had been buying up a ton of the index tokens and then is trying to do some hostile uh, rfv uh, by uh, going after the the governance protocol and essentially assigning themselves this this die that's sitting there uh, that that had been set aside for uh, payback people and so he asked people to vote no uh, because this is a hostile and that the funds are supposed to be used for for other purposes uh, he did provide some some context later on saying that index was attacked in October 21, 2021. And then uh, development ended shortly thereafter, after filing a lawsuit, and it was litigated. So the protocol remained operational after being patched. But Dylan and Lawrence moved on as developers and operational maintainers uh, to go to other projects. So uh, he said that the index protocol was is governed by a DAO underpinned by Governor Alpha, and the time lock contract which operates it uh, contains index tokens that were set aside for the DAO to decide how to use. Um, and then some di some die was set aside from the sale of index from that contract, uh, as well as some sushi and ZRX. So uh, inactivity followed his departure, and so the value of index has essentially dropped to literally nothing. And that made it worthwhile for someone to buy a, a, a massive amount of NDX tokens for you know, a couple of thousand dollars. Uh, and they were able to acquire, you know, like 4% of supply. And uh, then they're going to vote for themselves to take all the money that's there, all this die that's there. And so he's, he's asking people to come in and, and vote if they have any NDX tokens left. By the way, is there something actually illegal about what they're doing? No. Well, I mean, it's debatable, right? Because the, the DAO essentially has control. And if they bought all these tokens and are engaging in uh, yeah, RFV, but, then. Yeah, but the, but if someone buys token at, at market uh, price and he just uh, then want to participate in the governance uh, like uh, decision making process, I think it's uh, he's playing the game uh, within the, the rules of the game, no? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's 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 unfortunate. Uh, looks like there's, you know, close to a hundred thousand dollars there, which is about to be stolen, and there's I don't know if anybody can do anything at this point. Yeah, but also uh, like honestly, I don't know if it's exactly stolen because this money is just sitting there doing what, and uh, like no. Nothing is happening, like it's a community that nothing is actually happening in. And then someone sees it and uh, takes advantage of it in a way, but like by using the very same like rules that they've implemented that uh, about how things should be done. So if they lost interest in that uh, project 
in my opinion, they've actually also lost interest in the funds that they were making because they could they could have promoted something like of a dissolvement for themselves earlier on the, as well. Sure, sure. I, I think they had plans for it or something. I, they're probably just hanging on to it and forgot about it. I mean, it's been years since they left the project and yeah. it, for failed projects, you don't really like go back and closely watch how governance tokens are being distributed, right? Yeah, and someone saw it and tells himself, what exactly am I like? I, honestly, I'm not understanding what he's doing wrong. Like that's just someone buying tokens and then voting on uh, governance. And I, I know I'm uh, over uh, like simplifying it. And uh, that, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not uh, trying to be naive, but like uh, I still don't understand exactly uh, what's my, if I have any criticism about this, the, these people who want to do it, like they, they play the game. And I think it basically shows that, like, for example, no one can pull it off with a project like uh, Curve or Frax or uh, something like that, because there's an actual community and stuff are actually uh, happening and people uh, have actual, actual goals and they won't allow it. So I think above all, it means that if you have a project, you have to have an actual goal and an actual community and an actual uh, like uh, discussion about stuff and to have people care about what you're doing. Otherwise, at some point, someone will take advantage of it. Yeah, be careful with government contracts. So, yeah. All right, let's talk about. Dog there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about synthetics. So synthetics is proposing to have SIP 346, Purpose V3 Integrator Incentive. And so the idea here is to introduce a fee sharing mechanism specifically designed for integrators of synthetics Perps V3. Uh, according to this proposal, integrators will be entitled to a consistent 20% fee in SUSD for trades executed through their integration with the synthetic Perps V3 system. Uh, so this is addressing some of the limitations of the V2 system, and it's essentially going to add almost like a, a, a fixed 20% fee, like rev share, into all synthetics products now that are building perps on top. Uh, pretty good for something like Quinta, which is doing good volumes, and uh, nice to see from synthetics as DYDX also adds staking. This is huge. This is great. Yeah, I really like stuff like that, and I think it's uh, it's going to be a standard at at some point. Don't you guys think that uh, because stuff is going to get more and more competitive? So if a project will really want to offer a lot of integration, offering a rev share will be a par a significant part of it. And I'm yeah. happy to see uh, synthetics going that uh, route. I think that uh, for example, uh, for GMX it was huge, and I think that uh, synthetics should definitely. Uh, follow through on that. So price reacted accordingly. Uh, the price of Quinta, which is the largest uh, purpose provider on synthetics is up 30% in the past wow. day. And over the past 30 days, it is up almost three X. So um, lots of optimism in the market right now. <laughs> Imagine if Kervo Frax do it, do something like that. Like, yeah. Uh, like synthetics. Wow. That's uh, so we're going to talk about BitTensor later this week. I don't want to talk about it now, but it's become the the hottest thing in crypto right what now. Do, what's, that? what's that? I didn't hear about it. 
BitTensor? Exactly. Uh, we'll talk about it later this week, but it's on the cool. our raters, and uh, we're going to put something together. Should we be buying the BitTensor top here is really the question. And uh, what are they doing? Anyways, we'll wrap it up here. We're well over the top of the hour, but thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, you know, talking about op OpenAI today and synthetics. What else do we discuss? American dynamism, lots of stuff. Yeah, Argentina. Yeah. Good pod today. Uh, tomorrow we have a guest. We have Quintus coming in uh, from Flashbots who's going to come talk about Intense. So excited to see that. Cool. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye, folks.